This morning, with God's help, we will be considering the the last verse in the Apocalypse to John. Revelation chapter 22, this morning, with God's help, verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention, for this is the very faithful and true word of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And now to the preaching of his word, let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Spirit, be with us now as we receive and rejoice over the grace that is given to us in this uh, final benesare, this final, Lord, disare, Lord, benedisare, benedisare, this final good word. We pray, Lord, that this benediction would be a blessing for our souls as we depart from this glorious book that you have given, Lord, for our strength, our comfort, for our encouragement. Give us grace to see, to hear, to believe. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we conclude our worship through the Apocalypse to John. Last uh, Lord's Day, we considered uh, the, the wonder of the Incarnation, and now, the saints of God, we come to the final verse and the final chapter of the final book in God's holy word. And now after two years, the final sermon in the apocalypse to John. Praise be to the Lord that he has given us grace to journey through this book together over the past two years. And now our worship in this book comes to a close, and it comes to a close with a benediction. A benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Uh, this benediction, this final benediction, is a declaration of God's grace that has been shown on you, God's people, as we have reached the end of this book. John is pronouncing that God's grace has allowed us to see all that we have seen in this book. That God's grace is allowing us right now to see that this book does not belong to a generation 2,000 years ago, but it belongs to the people of God in these last days from the time that Christ rose from the dead until now, until he returns. And the grace of God has given us grace, will give us grace to to see what is ahead. God's grace has allowed us to, to see what is behind, to see what we're seeing now, and to see what is ahead. You will remember that the word benediction is a compound Latin word that comes from the the meaning good word. Uh, it is two words, bene and disere. That is to say, the good word or good speech. Benedicere means blessings. The benediction, however, is more than just a good word. Uh, saints of God, it is a divine word. The benediction is more than a good word. 
It is a divine word. If it's a good word, it's just coming from me. If it's a divine word, it's coming from God. And that is exactly what the benediction is. It is a divine word or a divine good word from God. It is a not just a word, though. God is declaring or proclaiming his blessing upon his people. The benediction, then, is not a prayer or request from the minister to God that God would bless God's people, but rather it is a proclamation from God that his blessing is on his people. I hope that you, you see the difference there. It's not a, a, a request from the minister to God that he would bless his people. Rather, it is a proclamation. It is a declaration from God that he has, in fact, blessed his people. So then, John is not saying that he prays God's grace will be with you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let it be so. Rather, John is proclaiming that God has declared that his, as we come to the final verse, that his grace is, in fact, with you. It has been with you. Uh, look back through our journey through the apocalypse of John. I think that we could all say together, yes, in fact, God's grace has carried me through this book. And God's grace will carry me beyond this book until he returns. The grace of God is yours in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is yours. This benediction is a good word. And it is a good word because it is a divine word, which proclaims that the grace of God belongs to his people. The grace of God makes this final blessing, then, a true blessing. Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Saints, these are not empty words. They are not false promises. They are not superficial blessings. This pronouncement is that God, in, in capital letters, has extended grace to us through Jesus Christ in his finished and completed work. Saints of God, brothers and sisters, every time that you and I are blessed to hear the final blessing, to hear the benediction, we are receiving the reaffirmation from God himself that he has in fact given us grace. Every time when Pastor Isaiah or myself come up and read to you an opening benediction, God is saying to you, he has given you grace. God is saying so. Every time we close our sermons with a benediction, God is saying to you, you have been blessed. Grace is yours. Now go on in his grace. We must not treat this moment lightly. We must not miss the benediction, nor should we dismiss the benediction. It is God's divine word to you, his people, of blessing and grace. The benediction proclaims that we have been given grace from God to cover our past sins. It declares that we have been given grace by God to, to cover our present sins. It declares by God that we have been given grace to cover our future sins. This is what is spoken to us in the benediction. We have been given grace to trust in Christ in the past. We are being given grace to today trust in Christ and the benediction proclaims that God will give us grace to continue to trust in Christ. To God be the glory. Amen. God himself proclaims these promises of grace to us in this simple phrase. Grace be with you. 
In this simple phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, yours in Christ, yours from God. Amen. It seems like just a, a, a nicety that is said to us in the beginning and at the end. It is more than that. It is a proclamation of, of sin forgiven and grace and faith for today and tomorrow. Our time of worship in the apocalypse of John is coming to a close, but we're still living. We are promised grace then as we journey onward in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to take one step forward without the grace of Christ in my life. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The journey, this journey through the apocalypse of John began with God's proclamation of grace. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we, we began this sermon, we treated it as though we were climbing a mountain. And one of the first sermons that I preached on this in this series through the apocalypse of John to John was that we were going to take things with us that would help us along the way to the journey. Well, one of the things that we did not forget to leave, one of the things that we did not leave behind, praise be to God, is the grace of God. The grace of God was proclaimed to us as we began this journey. And now the grace of God is being proclaimed to us as we finish this journey. Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness that was proclaimed to us at, at the beginning of this journey. It was one of the things that we took into our tool bag, if you will. And now, as this book comes to an end, God is not saying to us, put grace away. You won't need it anymore as you journey onward. Instead, grace is needed for us as we continue as we continue onward. To journey onward in Christ Jesus, we still need His grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Proclaim the beginning. A blessing for all of those who would hear and read and obey. They would be blessed as they pressed on through this book until we wait, as we wait for the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it was His promise of grace that carried us along and has enabled us to see many wonderful things through this book. This book has been challenging at times, hasn't it? We have encountered difficult passages to understand. We have read of perilous times. Our view of God and our view of the work of Christ has been elevated because God promised a blessing to all of those who would take this book up, read it, and obey all that is within God promised that he would, in fact, enable our eyes to see what is right and true, and he has. And now as we come to the end of this book, it's fitting for us to look back and consider what we've seen. What the grace of God has enabled our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see. What the grace of God is allowing our spiritual eyes to to presently see. And what the grace of God will allow our eyes to, to finally see. The sight that has been uh, granted to us by the grace of God, we're only able to see because God has allowed us to see because of this good word. God has not allowed, God has not withheld his goodness to us in this book. This is important as we are coming to the end of this. God has generously given to us eyes to see 
and faith to believe all that he's revealed for the church in this book. God has shown us goodness in this book. He's shown us what to expect in this book. He's expressed his goodness to us by not keeping us in the dark. The Lord led John to declare at the beginning, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Saints of God, by the grace of God, over the past two years, we have learned that the book of Revelation is intended to bring clarity, not confusion. That the book of Revelation is called to reveal it's called to unveil. It has not been given to us to keep the word of God and God's will concealed. It's not been given to us to remain veiled. But God has shown us goodness by unveiling his will. By uncovering what we should expect here in these last days. God has not given us revelation so that we cannot understand it. It was one of my fears when I first began this book. Is It's too hard to understand. God, though, is not illogical. God is logical, meaning God has not given us revelation so that we could never because we could never understand it. God has given us revelation so that we can, in fact, understand it. And so we have at the end of this book understood that revelation is actually not that hard and that if we use the proper tools, God will give us grace to understand his word by the grace of God. He's under he's helped us to understand how to view how to understand this book. As you know, this book is to be understood symbolically. Take that with you. Utilizing the whole of Scripture as a guide to proper understanding. John is used by God to take the whole of Scripture. How do we understand Revelation? We take the whole of Scripture. And John, by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, has weaved together a wonderful tapestry of truth. In the past, Mario reminds me of this, I've used the example of Revelation being a beautiful mosaic. And the apocalypse to John is exactly that. It is a mosaic of the whole of scripture. Assembled by God. As his final masterpiece. And God has graced us with spiritual eyes. To see the glory of his handiwork. This special knowledge. that This revelation. In his final book. By the grace of God. We have seen that the revelation to John is not meant to create fear in God's people, but joyful hope. I hope that you've seen this throughout this book, that it's not as scary as we were taught that it was. This book is not meant to keep us awake at night in fear, but it is meant to give us rest at night, knowing that Christ is victorious. Therefore, it is well with our souls. The revelation of John to John is given to strengthen the church of Jesus Christ, not to scare his bride, but to fortify his bride until he returns in glory. And by the grace of God, we have seen that this book of visions is a proclamation of the victory of the risen, ascended Lord of glory, who, because of his person and work, holds the power of death and Hades. When I first began to, to teach and read through this book, my one conclusion was this. Revelation is only about the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ through his person and work. It was my only conclusion about this book. Now I have two conclusions. I'll give you the second one at the end. But for now, he is the God man. 
He is the one who has assumed our flesh. And, and let me say this. As I was typing this, I said to myself, I hope that you don't get tired of hearing that. He is the God-man. God became men. God became men. God assumed our flesh to heal us. I, I, I implore you, please, because in this church with your two elders, you're going to hear that until Christ returns. But God became man. God took our flesh, assumed our flesh, gave to humanity in order to save humanity. How? Because God, because God became man. He lived, he died, he rose, ascended, and has promised to return in glory. And Christ says to all those who read this book, to hear and who obey, do not be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. He says, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have, he says, the keys of death and of Hades. Yes, Christ is victorious. Revelation is about the victory of Christ. One of the conclusions that one could walk away from with this book is simply this. Christ is victorious and you would not be wrong. Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious. And if we are in Christ, then we too are victorious. The victory of Christ is one of the main running themes throughout this book. Because Christ has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. We can rejoice that we too have triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. And when we are in the most difficult circumstances, as we live throughout this tribulation, these last days, we can rejoice that Christ has overcome. And because Christ has overcome, we can overcome. It's what Christ encouraged the seven churches of Asia Minor to, to overcome. The seven churches, as you know, represents the church for all time until Christ returns, that he has overcome. And because he has overcome, we can overcome. Praise be to the Lord. Our Lord encourages the church that no matter what kind of opposition comes from the world, the flesh, or the devil, we have been enabled to overcome. We have been empowered to overcome because Christ lives in us. And if Christ lives in us, then greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Amen. We can overcome through Christ Jesus. Because Christ has overcome, we can overcome when Satan attacks Christ and his church through false teaching. We can overcome any false teaching because Christ has overcome it. Because Christ has overcome, we can overcome any persecution because of our faith that comes our way. Because Christ has overcome. Christ has overcome, and because Christ has overcome, we can overcome any tribulation, suffering uh, physically and emotionally in our faith because Christ has overcome. He has empowered and enabled you to do so. Because Christ has overcome. He has enabled us to overcome the woes of poverty and the woes of being excluded from society because of what? Because of our willingness to, uh, to compromise our faith in Christ. We can overcome we can trust that Christ will provide for us regardless, uh, 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 if, uh, regardless if we have jobs or not. Christ will provide. Amen. By the grace of God, the church has been promised that because Christ has overcome, we too can overcome. And there are great promises from Christ to the overcomer.
Revelation 2.7. We shall eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.10. We shall be given a crown of life and not hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17. We shall be given manna from heaven and a white stone with our names engraved, names only known by God. Revelation 2.26. We shall be given authority over nations and the morning star belongs to us. I said uh, last week we talked about the morning star. I I mentioned this to a few people. When you hear morning star, sometimes we think, isn't that Satan? No, Satan is taking a, a name that does not belong to him. He's calling himself something that he's not. The bright star is Christ. Christ is the morning star. Satan is the the imposter star. Satan is the one who claims that he is light, but he is only darkness. So when you see morning star... Don't associate that with Satan. Associate that with the one who it truly belongs to, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the morning star belongs to you. Who then is the morning star? Not Satan. It's Christ. Christ belongs to you is what he says. Revelation 3, 5. We shall be given white garments and Christ shall acknowledge us before the Father as his own. What a, what a wonderful, what a wonderful promise. You and I, sinners as we are, Sinners as we were have been promised by Christ that when we stand in glory, Christ will not disown us. He will say, yes, that is my daughter. Yes, that is my son. I died for him before the father. Uh, this has been preached before. Revelation 3.12. We shall be pillars in the temple of God. God shall write his name upon us and we shall remain there with him. Revelation 3.21. He who overcomes, I will grant him the right to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Dear ones, go back and listen to these promises. Go back and don't just because we're out of Revelation. Don't let your time of hearing the sermons from Revelation disappear as well. Go back and hear the promises that are given to us as we overcome in Christ Jesus. By the grace of God, we've seen, we've heard, we believed, and we are holding fast to these promises as we overcome and await the blessed return of our Christ. It is these precious promises, which really do, and we'll get this to the, to the end, they really do amount to one glorious promise. But that we cling to these promises. Between this first coming and second coming of Christ, we hold fast to the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. It is in this age, this epoch, this epoch of tribulation, by the grace of God, That we have been warned that we shall suffer. Holding on to these promises in the midst of the fact that God has also promised us that we will suffer. Now, I say it's by the grace of God that God has warned us that we shall suffer. Because God has warned us that we shall suffer. He's not left us in the dark. He's allowed us to see and to know that the presence of suffering has a purpose as well. That it's not meaningless. That that first of all... Suffering will be present and that when it comes, God will utilize it for his glory. We've been warned that there is a a cyclical occurrence of evil in these last days. It will continue to go round and round. And each time it does, increasing in its evil. God has revealed through the seals, through the trumpets and through the bowls that Satan will continue to use physical might and deception as a way to deceive people. But we have been promised this. He will not be able to deceive us. 
He can have our bodies, which is fine, but he can't have our souls. This will continue in this inter-advental age, and it will continue to increase. Saints of God, we will see terror. This morning, just kind of getting the news and seeing that there was a flood of people that are that are gathering around the Red Sea. And they are doing so in, in protest to the war in Gaza. Thousands of Muslims. Saints of God, we're going to see things that are going to be troubling to our souls. We are going to see things that are going to be frightening. And we are all the way on this side of the country thinking, well, it's, it's way over there. We are in the same world. Attacks are not that hard any longer. We're going to see things that cause us at times to be tempted to fear. Wars will arise in increasing manners. Deception will increase. Love for men will decrease. These are the last days, and they have been. The days that have been since Christ rose from the dead, and they are troublesome days. Satan, through his Antichrist, will inflict violence and spread deception through the world in an attempt to shake the kingdom of God. But there is only one kingdom that will be shaken. There is only one kingdom that will fall. It is the, the kingdoms of this world that, are, that will fall. Babylon will fall. Satan and his kingdom are destroyed and will finally be destroyed. So don't fear. When you seek trouble, when you see things that are disheartening, don't lose heart. Don't allow your hearts to be troubled, nor let them be filled with fear. Christ has promised in this world you will have tribulation, but do not fear. He has overcome the world. So don't let your hearts be troubled. This is all within the will of God. God is allowing it. God is willing it. Even as Satan opposes Christ and his church, we have this promise. Satan will fall, but also Christ will bring, continue to bring his people. Those who are Christ will not be deserved. Those who belong to Christ will not be uh, deceived. Those who belong to Christ will be drawn to him from all corners of the world. Christ will draw his people to himself and Christ will not return until his gospel reaches the four corners of the world, drawing all of his people to himself. Christ will not return until the 144,000, all of them, and not one less, have come to him in faith. Satan is loosed during this symbolic 1,000 years. He might attempt to stop the sheep from coming to Christ, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. We have this promise. Satan and his kingdom shall fall. Babylon will fall. And when Christ returns, he will cast Satan, the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, Babylon, the harlot, all those who took the mark of the beast upon their lives, he will cast them all into the lake of fire forever. They will suffer there for eternity without end. As we await that glorious return of Christ, the grace of Christ has given us eyes to see that God is permitting suffering and God is also using suffering. And God has permitted it and the purpose of it is so that we might participate in the life of the divine exemplar, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered unto glory. Your suffering is not meaningless. It's not purposeless. You are sharing in the life of Christ. When the apostles were beat because of faith in Christ, they did not walk away crying. 
They skipped away singing joyfully that they were given the pleasure of suffering as Christ suffered. So when trouble comes, if it does, when suffering comes, if it does, rejoice. God has counted you worthy as one who is able to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Don't see it as a thorn. See it as a crown. God is blessing you to share in the sufferings of Christ. Our suffering, therefore, it's not meaningless. God is using suffering to test us and to refine our faith in Christ. Our bodies are not exempt from suffering. We will get sick. We may suffer persecution for our faith. But we do not fear those who persecute the body. We will not despair when we are sick. Because we know that our bodies may waste away. But our souls will be everlasting. And our bodies will once again be be reunited to our souls in that great day of resurrection. We don't fear those who can kill the body. We fear the one who can kill soul and body in hell. We fear God and God alone. As we stand against the schemes and devices of the enemy, we make a heartfelt decision to not bow our knee to the Caesars of the world the kings of the world, to the emperors and princes and presidents who arise in this last hour, those who are in league with Satan. We fear no man or what they can do to us, nor the violence that they threaten to inflict upon us. We have been assured that they can kill the body but not have our soul. So we fear no man. As we refuse to believe the doctrines of demons that are spoken through, through even some of the greatest orators of Satan, We make a heartfelt decision to stand for truth. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We hold fast to the truth. And we are not afraid to speak it. We are free in Christ Jesus. When you are able to speak freely, you are free. When you are not afraid of violence, you are free. Saints of God, in Christ Jesus, we are free. We are not slaves to any man. We are bond slaves of Christ. Therefore, we are most free. We refuse to be enslaved by the ethos and the pathos of the evil one. We refuse to take his mark because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Saints of God, we have this seal on our hearts and on our minds. We stand with Christ. And as we stand with Christ, who is the truth, we have this grand assurance that Christ shall not lose one of the sheep for whom he has died. When the 144,000 are standing with Christ, there is 144,000 and no less. Christ has not and will not lose one of those for whom he has died. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1. Then I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion with and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. These are those who stand with Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen this. By the grace of God, they shall stand. By the grace of God, they shall endure. By the grace of God, they shall overcome until that glorious day when the one who is faithful and true, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns in victory. John is given a vision of the multitude rejoicing in glory. Turn there with me as we are bringing this sermon to a conclusion. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. What will that day look like? What will it be like? John is given a vision. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation, and all tribes and peoples and tongues, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the living and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. By the grace of God. We have seen this, that this is when the church is glorified with God, that in glory, God shall make his home among men. I can't even say it any better than what was just said. Revelation chapter 21, if you would turn there. And I can't make it any better than than what actually God says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things that passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Because the church is with God, in the presence of God, we will have perfect peace. Perfect joy and happiness will be ours for eternity. No longer will we know tears. No longer will we know pain. No longer will we know fear or worry. We will be in God's presence forever. We will share his glory. In the presence of God, we share the glory of God. It's one of the rewards that Christ promises to the overcomer. No longer will we be able to be attacked by the evil one. No violence, no deception will come our way. Our walls will be too high and too thick for any, any, any evil one to come and oppose us. They will all be destroyed. She, the church, will dwell And the holy of holies of God. She will finally be completely holy as God is holy. The church, the royal priesthood shall rejoice in the presence of God for eternity. And that will never end. She shall walk in righteousness. Her steps shall be like gold and jasper. The sun will be no more. Nor nor the moon. For God himself will be our light. And he himself will bring illumination to that place of glory. We shall be nourished by the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit for all time. We shall finally take of the tree of life. And our complete satisfaction will be found in Him, the tree of life. And then, to bring all these wonderful things to a close, John is led by God's Spirit to say this. And it is the second thing that I think is is the purpose of Revelation. They will see His face. 
to behold the face of God. The beatific vision is the the greatest promise that awaits the people of God. Christ gives these promises to the overcomers, and and each of them, as you as you consider each of them. They have something to do with, with this intimacy that is found when we behold the face of God. When I first began this book, I thought this is easy. It's just victory all the way through, beginning to end. And it's true. The apocalypse of John declares that Christ is victorious. And by the grace of God, when we come to the end of this book, we learn that because of the victory of Christ, it ensures all those who trust in Christ that they will see the face of God which will produce in us an eternal joy and happiness. It's the very reason why you've been made. It's not just a a, a conquering of sin. Praise be to God for that. It's not just a conquering of death. Praise be to God for that. And it's not just a conquering of the grave or Satan. All of those are true and good. But what do they then produce? What's the result of them? What do they then offer in victory or Because of the defeat of these foes, what is the victory? It is life. But what is the best life? The best life is the beatified life. The life in which we behold God and share in this divine glory forever. The beatific vision. Victory produces this vision. And this vision produces perfect happiness. It's what, dare I say, all of the Bible is about. John, who is composing this mosaic of all the scriptures, is taking all of the scriptures to to say this. God has created us for a purpose. We have failed to live up to that. God has become man to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. More than that, to do for God. The, the, The offering that Christ gives is first to God. It's not first to you. We we are benefactors of his offering to God. And the offering that Christ gives to God defeats all evil. And if you were to receive it by faith, it produces in you the very reason why you were made. To know God and in knowing God, enjoy Him forever. It's the glorious news of the gospel. God became man. Truly God, truly man. Lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, ascended gloriously, will return powerfully. And if you trust in him and overcome as he overcame, you will know in the fullest sense, perfectly joy, perfect joy, unspeakable. You will know happiness. It's why God has given us this book so that we can know him and in knowing him, know true everlasting peace and happiness, joy. Nothing that Satan can offer can compare. Nothing. By the grace of God, we now know this. I could say so much more. Look, I spent a week and a half trying to, to summarize two and a half years of teaching, or two years of teaching. It would take me another two years to give you a good, awesome summary of the last sermon of Revelation. But I pray that as you reflect on all that we have learned, you rejoice because the grace of God has helped you to know these things. What more can I say to bring this, this book uh, to a close, except come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. I praise God for the grace and pleasure that he has given me to preach.
through the apocalypse to John and to do so to you, his people, for these past two and a half, for these past two years. All glory and praise and honor be to him. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. The apocalypse to John. Let us pray.